Do you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just want to have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. Well, good day, everyone. Wonderful to be with you. Before we jump in, I always want to give updates during this quarantine time on our spectacular sponsors for Jesus Never Ran. Couple updates, really important things. Number one, Rise Nutrition with Angie Niska. They have started doing curbside service. So make sure you reach out to them and see what you can pick up to meet your health and nutrition goals. Remember, you can find them at Rise Nutrition Menominee on Facebook. Also, a really cool thing going on at Infinity Beverages, infinitybeverages.com. They have begun to make hand sanitizer a huge need right now, and we can help support what they're doing. You can purchase hand sanitizer from them, and then that helps offset the cost that they're inferring by giving away a lot of this hand sanitizer to the people that really need it. So again, go to infinitybeverages.com. You can do curbside pickup there. You can order online. Make sure you keep these businesses going amidst this really challenging time. Wow, such great response from the last two episodes. For those of you who haven't been keeping track, what we're doing with this new year, because Jesus Never Ran just turned one year old, what we're doing is we're switching our focus a little bit and we're tackling some of the real big challenges and questions of faith. Not just the token ones that you always hear about, but these real, raw, authentic questions. Last week, we heard from Steve Weens. Again, make sure you check out his podcast at This Good Word. Steve had just incredible perspective on exactly what we're talking about this year. So I can't thank him enough for kicking things off um, with his podcast last week, which is called Shining Like the Sun. If you missed it, make sure you go back and listen to it. One thing that I know is that people who are in a space where they're listening to this podcast and they're identifying saying, yes, this is me. This podcast is for me. Part of what you're longing for, if you're like I was a number of years back, part of what you're looking for is the ability to say me too. And you're also looking for examples of how people have made it through this or how people are making it through this because this is really a lifelong journey. We're not in the business of trying to just answer questions and move forward. We're in the business of wrestling with questions, wrestling with our doubts, wrestling with our faith and moving forward with tons of joy and excitement about our future. So today what we're going to do is we're going to piggyback a little bit off of what Steve said, and I'm also going to share a little bit more about my journey with this because my journey started over a decade ago of really struggling with some of my doubts and my questions that I had. And now I feel like I'm at this place where I've found some of the resources that I've wanted. I found the community that I've been looking for, a global community, a group of people who I know are tackling the same issue. So when I first encountered the evangelical church, this would have been in the mid-90s. It was right when I was starting my college career. And I remember feeling that although I have a lot of questions 
I remember thinking that obviously someone else smarter than me had all the answers. All I have to do is listen to enough sermons, find enough books. If I just keep looking, I am going to knock them out one by one. Now, if you were engaged in the evangelical church at that time, or even currently, you probably recall books like Case for Christ. Lee Strobel wrote that book, and he wrote it from the perspective of a journalist, which is what his previous career was, like an investigative journalist. And he really took on this idea of, is Jesus real? Is the resurrection real? And he wrote The Case for Christ and several other books that were very thematic in the same ways. There was another book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It was the largest book still today that I've ever tried to plow through. And these books were wildly popular and people like myself were looking to these books so that we felt like we had the answers to the questions and not necessarily so we could answer our own questions, but in so many ways so that we could answer questions that other people had that were obviously going to pose to us. (laughs) Because again, it was that evangelical mindset of we got to get everybody saved and people are going to have these questions. I mean, I swear I read every one of these books that I could find. A lot of people call them a apologetic books, you know, books that get to the nitty gritty of we're finding answers for our questions. Here's the problem, though, because I'm a very inquisitive person. I get caught up in my brain a ton. I mean, a ton. And so the problem was that I would read these books and I would listen to the sermons and I would I would do everything I could to just ingest as much of this as possible. And although some of my questions did get answered, truly they did. These books and the things I was listening to, they actually answered a few questions, but created even more questions. So I would go in to reading a book thinking I'm going to find some answers and I would come away from it having way more questions. That still happens to this day uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. So eventually I started to dig deeper. Now I began reading and listening to people who didn't so much answer the questions in the way that I used to want, but what they did is they supported kind of a dialogue and they would approach doubts that I had, questions that I had. They would approach them in real honest and authentic ways. Many times I would read books that would pose questions that would get me thinking, yes, 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 this is what I want to hear about. And the book would end without a complete solution, but I wouldn't leave that book feeling like I didn't get what I was looking for. I left that book with just a hunger in my heart of knowing, hey, we're on this journey and actually maybe the journey isn't about answering all of the questions. Maybe it's about being authentic. Maybe it's about being honest. And maybe, just maybe, maybe, listen to this, maybe it's actually about the questions and not about the answers which is also maybe why we call it faith. So let me just tell you some of the voices that were really extremely important in my life because maybe they're people that you'll want to check out for yourself. One of the biggest ones, and I got a chance to hear him speak live a couple of times, and at this point I've read every single one of his books, some of them several times, but Brian McLaren. Brian McLaren was the first person that I read and that I heard where I heard him and I said, Yep, 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 and absolutely. 
not because he was answering my questions again, but because I really felt like I could relate to everything he was talking about. He would talk about things like a new way of thinking of Christianity. He would question the theology of hell and salvation. He questions the church's stance against homosexuality. So many things that were in my heart as well. And I'm reading his books, listening to him speak, and it's just resonating with me a great deal. An absolute must read, must listen to is Father Richard Rohr. Pick anything you can find with his name on it. Now, he's a Catholic guy. I grew up Catholic, so he's my guy. And just so you know, just so you're prepared, his books are the type of books where you have to read each page about three times to really get to the heart of what he's saying. Not because they're overly heady, but because the way that he writes really makes you think. Another one is Rob Bell. Rob Bell was wildly popular in evangelical circles. He had one of the fastest growing churches over in Michigan for a number of years. He started writing books that were questioning the evangelical model of faith and eventually really got kicked out of evangelicalism altogether when he wrote a book called Love Wins, which is all about theology of hell and the afterlife. Greg Boyd, he was one of the first pastors that just lit me on fire. He's over from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Incredible thinking about the Bible and so many other things. But his teachings about the Bible have been foundational for me. Tony Campolo, I love him because he just, whatever he's thinking, he just writes it down. And I really appreciate it. Rachel Held Evans, she passed away earlier this year. Some incredible, authentic, beautiful writings. Jen Hatmaker. You know, she is really a mainstream Christian author, but because of some of her most recent stances that she's taken, has got in a lot of hot water. And I think it has made her even more spectacular than she ever was before. So check them out. Write all of those names down. Check out those books. You have some extra time to read right now. So maybe this is the time to get hashing through. Hey, I'll put the information for some of my favorite books in the show notes. So take a peek at those and I'll put some links of where you can purchase them as well. Now, when I start getting ideas in my head that are lighting me up, that are getting me excited, I'm the type of person that naturally assumes that everybody needs to know what I'm learning. And that is that has not served me well throughout the years. And the reason I say that is because it's almost, I don't want to say a word of warning, but let's say a word of caution. Because people's faith, when we're talking about the foundations of what people believe and what they stand on, that can be something that people will guard with everything they have. And as soon as somebody starts coming against some of these things that people feel are their foundations, they can, they can lash out in ways that I don't even think they're intentional in doing, but that can be very hurtful. So let me give you an example. When I was going through this exact situation, when I was starting to learn this stuff, when I was starting to really wrestle in exciting and beautiful ways, I wanted to use some of what I was learning. At the time, I was speaking at youth camps and youth conferences all over the place. And at this point, there's one camp in particular that I'll tell you about. There's one camp that every single year for like four to five years, I was one of the top ranked speakers there. So 
it just happened to be that they invited me to one of their biggest conferences that they had that year where it was several weeks. I think I was speaking for almost a month uh, at these big camps that they're having. And one of the things that I was struggling with is this idea of salvation and this idea of what we call an altar call, which simply means that somebody up front, some speaker up front, some pastor says, hey, you just need to say this prayer and then you can go to heaven. Anybody who wants to go to heaven, raise your hand and say the prayer with me or come forward. And it was like the it was the crux of a youth camp, like get kids saved. Well, one year I just decided that wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing because I really didn't believe that just raising your hand for some guy you don't even know up front, as he says, like that wasn't making sense to me. And if somebody was going to share faith with a young person, I believed it should be their youth leader in a conversation where they're sitting down together, not from some stranger up front. So that year I decided not to do the hallowed altar call. And shortly after those speaking engagements, I got a call from the director of the camp saying, we got so many horrible reviews from having you as a speaker. And he said, it's because you didn't do an altar call. And he just started giving me the runaround about why I wouldn't do this. What would make me think I didn't have to do this? And let me tell you, I never, and I mean never, got invited back to that camp to speak to youth again. So this journey has cost me something. It's actually cost me a great deal. And when you think about some of the authors and speakers that I just told you about, it's cost them a lot too. I mentioned Rob Bell, what it's cost him. He's no longer a pastor. He's doing just great. But many people consider him kicked out of the evangelical circles all together. Brian McLaren has gotten so much flack for his writings. Jen Hatmaker, as I mentioned. A lot of these people, when they start to speak something that goes against these, and air quotes right here, foundations of faith that people have, they will guard that and they're not afraid if your feelings get hurt. Now, last week in our interview with Steve, there's a sound clip that I left out on purpose because I wanted to share it today. And I want you to hear what he has to say about people who are fearful that if they start asking these questions about salvation, about the Bible, about sexuality, they're fearful that if they start asking those questions, that they may not be as welcomed in their communities of faith and even in their circles of friends. Yeah, sadly, I think a lot of the people that I do end up talking to uh, that are starting to ask some of the big questions and they're, and, and they're starting to shift some of what they believe. Maybe it's about LGBTQIA plus inclusion, or maybe it's even just the way that they look at the Bible. And I say just as if that's some small thing. <laughs> it's certainly not a small thing. But then they run into, they, they run into the folks in their church and churches are are beautiful, lovely human things. And they're sort of mostly run, depending on how 
old they are, depending on who are the sort of major voices or controlling factors, they're, they're sort of run um, based on group mentality. And that's a sociological thing that um, people in general, sociologically, we do not like or accept what we do not understand. And so if you start really questioning some of the things that I have always held dear, but I haven't yet needed to question those things, I will look at you and I will mistrust you and I'll be afraid of you and I'll be afraid of the things you're thinking. And instead of getting curious about that fear, I will attack you and I will try to scapegoat you. And if I get enough people on my side to scapegoat you, I can maybe even uh, make you feel so uncomfortable at that church that you'll stop coming, or I can publicly shame you into not coming or even kick you out. Uh, there's lots of ways to do that. And, and so sadly, people who are doing the natural, normal, what I think is a very healthy sign of growing, when you start saying, well, wait a minute, now that that doesn't make any sense anymore. Like for example, when I started meeting uh, queer Christians who were like really in love with Jesus and really wanting to grow in their faith, that made it really hard for me to say, well, uh, they're automatically, they don't get it and they shouldn't be allowed in or at least allowed into positions of leadership because they're sinning or something. Now, that wasn't the only thing that made me change my mind on that one, but it was one of the things that made me start asking questions. And in certain environments, those questions just aren't safe. And so what I would say to people is you do need to be fairly circumspect at first about who it is that you start talking to about your major questions. And if you start talking to someone about some of your deep questions, they'll either light up inside and really get warm and invite you to keep sharing or you'll see them tighten up and clench up and try to stop you. So our, our church is going through an LGBTQIA inclusion process that's gonna end up in a vote in a month here about from our members to whether or not we'll do same-sex marriage because we haven't, we've, we're in a denomination where we're not allowed to. And we get an email from someone who's not even a part of our church that tried to put us back on the right side of the theological track. <laughs> it's like, why? He's not in the conversation even. I don't even know who this guy was. And I'm not saying there are good people and bad people when it comes to this at all. I'm saying there are healthy environments to share these things. There are safe people with whom you can share some of your deepest, darkest questions and doubts. And there are people who are just going to get too triggered. And so you're going to have to be pretty wise about who you share it with. And I don't think it's an automatic guarantee that you can like stay in your church no matter what, if you start asking lots and lots of big questions. I hope you can. I hope it's a kind of place where you can. Not every church is like that. And again, I want to be careful. Like, I don't think every church that doesn't like big questions is, is a bad place. But I, but I do think you should care for yourself well in knowing when it's time to stay, if it's safe for you, even if people are pushing back, but you sense it's safe. I think you can, you can, you can do that. But if you're sensing that you're going to be maligned or scapegoated because of what you're now thinking, because of what you're now believing, 
I think that it's self-care to put some distance between you and that place for a while. And again, you don't need to call them evil. You don't need to call them terrible or, or bad, but call it self-care if you need to find a place where you can explore some of these really important questions. This podcast is here today to let you know that you're not alone. You're not alone on this journey. I felt for so many years that I was alone. And I also felt that if I was found out that I'd be rejected. And let me just say, first off, that I feel like in so many ways, I was rejected by so many and I have been rejected by so many, but I also have been accepted by even more. So as Steve mentioned, you may lose some, it may cost you your ministry, it may cost you your church, it might even cost you some people that you call friends. But it will, let me repeat, it will set you free. As we close up, I just want to give you a heads up of where we're going next. What's going to be the big issue, the big question we're going to tackle here. You heard Steve mention that his community, Genesis Covenant, is currently going through a decision process of whether or not they're going to allow for gay marriages in their church. That's huge. And that's something that's going on more and more in our culture today. Churches are posed with having to make a decision on this, even if the decision previous to this was contrary to where they're currently going. Now, for me, one of the biggest first questions I had was exactly about this. I was on staff at a church at this time, and I remember hearing so many conversations about the LGBT community, about how it's sinful and blah, blah, blah. And I started really thinking about it. I started really researching it. For the first time, I started reading articles and books from people who called themselves gay Christians. And suddenly I started to ask the question, why is there this huge, and I mean huge, divide between the evangelical church and people who are gay, bisexual, transgendered. Why is there a huge gap there? We'll accept murderers back into our community, but if you're gay, think twice about walking in the doors. So next week, you're going to hear an interview from Mary Carol Woodman. She lives down in Atlanta, Georgia, and she has lived life knowing firsthand what it feels like to be rejected, but also knowing the freedom that comes when you're accepted. We so often will make blanket beliefs about blanket groups of people. I believe this about the gay community. I believe this about Muslims. I believe this about you fill in the blank. That's not helpful. And that's not what Jesus stood for. It's not until we can listen to an individual or get to know somebody firsthand that we can start to understand their story. I don't want you to judge me for being a straight person. I don't want you to assume certain things about me just because I'm straight. I would hate that if you did that. So why are we so quick to do that with so many other groups of people? You're not going to want to miss this interview next week. It's been amazing to be with you this week. Until next time, keep walking. Hey, if you've been enjoying Jesus Never Ran, make sure that you do me a huge favor. Go to that little button on your device and hit subscribe. And then hit a rating. Give us a five-star rating if you like it. If you don't, give us something lower. 
And then finally, if you have some time, please leave a review. It's the best way for this podcast to get in front of as many people as possible. We'll see you next week.